0: Let's press on. Um, Let me give you the reading now. It's Romans chapter 11. We're focusing on verse 15. But let me read from verse one of Romans chapter 11. Then we'll uh, look at the passage. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. So, too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall by no means rather through their trespass salvation has come to the Gentiles starts to make Israel jealous now if their trespass means riches for the world and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles how much more will their full inclusion mean now I am speaking to you Gentiles. In so much, then, as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. And here's the verse for tonight, and particularly the phrase at the end. For if their rejection means reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? What will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? There's a wonderful phrase, life from the dead. We were thinking this morning in the, uh, the morning service about the, the great contrasts in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and in our lives too. But here is the greatest possible contrast of all, life and death, dead and alive, life from the dead, the greatest contrast of all. Before we come on to that phrase and uh, focus on verse 15 in particular, let's just recap a little on verses 11 through to 14. Remember the whole chapters here, 9, 10 and 11 concerning God's promises to the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament. And in verse 1 of chapter 11, Paul asks a question. I ask then, has God rejected his people? He's speaking about the nation of Israel. And there's an emphatic answer. Uh, certainly not, by no means. Remember at the end of chapter 10, rather, it's they who've rejected him. But has God rejected his people, the nation of Israel? By no means. But in seeking to establish their own righteousness through the law, the Jews have stumbled over the gospel. The Jews have stumbled over Jesus Christ? That's verses 7 through to 10. Another question now comes in verse 11 then of chapter 11. So I ask, did they, that's the Jews, stumble in order that they might fall? In essence, is their stumbling over Jesus a final stumbling Is it going to result in a complete calamity and a catastrophic fall? And again, the answer is emphatic. By no means. Certainly not. Rather, now Paul reveals, inspired by the Spirit, God's purposes in this uh, stumbling of the Jews over the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's gracious purposes are being worked out in this stumbling Of the Jews, it will mean it's going to lead to a great opening of the gospel to the world, salvation to the Gentiles, which will result in riches to the world. Think of the manifold blessings that have come to the whole world through the gospel. Wherever nations are transformed through the people of those nations being converted, what a blessing! Uh, We can only really explain Britain as it is today because of the gospel light it has received. The great revivals, uh, particularly of the 18th century, Uh, the wonderful blessings that have flowed to Britain and to many nations around the world through people being converted. No, the stumbling of the Jews has led to the gospel going to the whole world, salvation to the Gentiles and riches to the whole world. And further says Paul, I magnify my ministry to the Gentiles in order that the Jews might become jealous, envious, desiring what they see the Gentiles have obtained by not even seeking it, and that thus some of them might be saved. That's verse 14. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous, envious, and thus save some of them. And really the exhortation last Sunday was, what sort of lives do we live as Christians? Does it make those around about us envious of what we have, jealous of what we have, and provoke them to seek the Lord for themselves. Think of your families who are unconverted, your workmates, colleagues, people at school, at college, neighbours. As they watch your life and my life, is there an envy being provoked by the wonderful work of God they see in our lives? It really ought to be so. And then verse 15 then is something of a conclusion. starts with this word for. And Paul's going to argue from the lesser to the greater. Here are a small number of Jews who are converted. Here's the, always the remnant, uh, the 7,000 in the time of Isaiah. At Paul's time, there was still a remnant chosen by grace. Uh, and today there is, a, there is a remnant. But if such a small number can produce blessing for the world, uh, what might their full inclusion be? Mean for the world. Here it is. Here's the verse. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean? But life from the dead. Now, I just want to try and tease out two things. First of all, it should be pretty, pretty plain and obvious. What? Who are the? Who? Who is there? for if their rejection. Who are the the there? Uh, who does this mean? And what does it mean by their acceptance? Who are the there? And what is their acceptance? First of all, who are the, the there? Paul's thinking about a group of people who are going to accept now the gospel. Who, who are they? Clear the whole passage referring to the nation of the Jews. So, does it mean this? For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Who is it that's going to accept the Lord Jesus Christ? Is Paul arguing that all Jews in all times are going to end up in glory? Obviously not. That cannot be the answer. Uh, We know that um, Jacob was chosen and Esau was rejected. We know in the time of Elijah, there were a small number, relatively 7,000 who had not bowed the knee to Baal, but the rest of the nation uh, had rejected when Paul is writing, he's saying there is a remnant chosen by grace, but the the great majority uh, reject the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is today in the nation of Israel. There are Jewish Christians, praise God, but the, the majority of the nation, like the majority of all nations, are on the broad road towards uh, destruction. So it's not all Jews of all times, are going to receive the gospel. Uh, does it then mean, who are the there, the, their, their rejection and their acceptance? Does it mean now elect Jews from all generations and a slow gathering in uh, as the centuries go by, uh, back in the ancient times, through the time of Christ, the preaching of the apostles, Throughout the early church era, uh, onto the Middle Ages, onto the modern ages, onto today, there'll always be a remnant chosen by grace. And uh, is is Paul referring to the elect Jews from all ages and a gradual build-up of their inclusion into Christ? Now there are many good. Men And many good commentators take that particular point of view. And then in the end, when we come to verse 25, all Israel will be all the chosen, Jews and Gentiles who will be included uh, in that great number. All Israel shall be saved. But there is a clear argument here that is being slowly built up, inspired by the spirit through the apostle Paul. That something is building up to some future great event. Some future great in gathering. Uh, not a slow, steady build up, but there's going to be a future event whereby a great number of Jews are going to return. Also, again, the whole context of chapters 9, 10 and 11, particularly chapter 11 we focused on here, is about the nation of the Jews. Let me remind you again of verse 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Well, who are they, clearly, the nation of the Jews, as opposed to the Gentile world, so as to make Israel jealous, and again, verse twelve now, if their whose their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Who are the they clearly, obviously. The Jews as a whole nation. Back to verse 1 of chapter 11. I ask then, has God rejected his people? This is the nation of Israel. By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. No, God has not rejected Israel. Rather, Israel has rejected him. Chapter 10 and verse 21. But of Israel, the nation, He says, all day long I have held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now, I'm trying to keep still tonight. I'm told it's a bit off-putting when I'm rocking backwards and forwards. These are very exciting uh, verses being laid out here. So the they, the there, refers to the Jews. It is their stumble. It is their trespass. It is their failure that has brought riches of salvation to the Gentiles and to the whole world. Let me read verse 12 again. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? It's not a question. It's a statement, a fact. And uh, there clearly then refers to the nation of Israel. What does it mean then, their acceptance? What will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Well, clearly their acceptance is parallel to what Paul is saying at the end of verse 12. How much more will their full inclusion mean? The full inclusion of the nation of Israel, the full acceptance of the nation of Israel. What does it mean? What is their acceptance? It is their acceptance of Jesus Christ. Their full inclusion is the inclusion of the nation of Israel into the Lord Jesus. What does it mean? What really does it mean? whatever it does mean and whatever interpretation we come to must be one that leaves us dumbfounded almost, totally overwhelmed by the grace and the mercy of God. Because when Paul finishes his argument, he's going to burst out into this quite amazing doxology. Verse 33, all the debt or all things to him be glory for ever. Somewhat reluctantly, I must be honest. I have come to the conclusion that this is referring to a great ingathering of Jews in the latter days, at the time just before Christ returns again to judge the living and. The dead. And I come to that conclusion because of the slow, steady argument of Romans 9, 10, and 11, and in particular, the slow, steady argument here in Romans chapter 11. Some future event is revealed to Paul whereby the nation of Israel, in the end, comes to faith in Christ. And they come to faith in Christ, not by virtue of being Jews. They come to faith in Christ, not by virtue of being physically descended from Abraham, but by virtue of sovereign grace alone, by virtue of God's sovereign choice and his electing purposes. There will be this great ingathering of Jews towards the end of the gospel age. Why should I have thought that such a strange thing? God has always, in the history of the gospel age, moved among nations in a most extraordinary way. He has one nation he blesses, then another nation he blesses by gathering in great numbers of individuals within that nation to profoundly influence the course of that nation. We we know them as revivals, Take the nation of Wales and when Wales is mentioned around the world it's often thought of as the land of revivals. Take 1904. 1905. Uh, Evan Roberts and other men too greatly used of God. And the revival sweeping through South Wales, Mid Wales, North Wales, spilling over into Liverpool and into Chester at some points as well. But it is thought that around 40% of the nation uh, were converted under the certainly the 18th century revivals, the 19th century revivals, 1859, uh, the great revival that swept Wales at that time but a great proportion of the nation coming to faith in Christ. The last major revival uh, in the, uh, the British Isles was in the Hebrides and the 1940s through to the 1970s, the last great revival, 1971. And on the island of Lewis, perhaps 60% of the nation were evangelical men, women, children, and young people. in Korea in recent times great proportion of the nation converted to Christ we're talking maybe 50 60% of the nation professing to be evangelical believers now we're thinking about a revival on such a scale that it's not 40% it's not 50% it's not 60% but it is there full inclusion. Uh, it is their acceptance of the Lord. It is that all Israel will be saved. It is 100%. In 1947, something very remarkable happened. I remember reading J.C. Ryle in his commentaries in the 19th century, still pointing towards, he said, the scriptures tell us that the Jewish nation will return and have its own land again. That would have seemed fanciful in the 19th century, but 1947, uh, it actually happened. And here are prophecies pointing towards a date. We don't know when the date is. We don't know if it's 20-something or 21-something, but it's pointing towards a time when the nation of Israel will turn back to their God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will all be of grace and mercy and the electing purposes of God. It will be such an event that it will indeed be life from the dead. For if their rejection means reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? I'm sure Paul has got in here, uh, in mind here, uh, Ezekiel chapter 37 and the opening 10 verses there. That valley of dry bones, bodies that have been dead for many, many years. The flesh rotted away completely. Uh, The bones disconnected and scattered across the valley bottom. Uh, can these bones live? Oh, Lord, you know. Can Israel turn to Christ? It seems to be an almost impossible thing. Could whales be revived yet again before Christ returns? It might seem a fanciful thing to you and to me, but with God, all things are possible. And God yet has dates in mind for the nations and may be for Wales, but certainly there is a date in mind for the nation of Israel. And Ezekiel chapter 37, that uh, valley of bones, prophesy, preach. And that's what we do today. And the bones coming together and the army standing up and prophesy to the spirit and the spirit entering them and they're becoming a living army. What would such an event mean but life? From the dead, I believe life in life from the dead could uh, refer to three things. First of all, well, salvation for the nation of Israel—that is the ultimate life from the dead. Uh, Life from the dead. What a blessing it would be to the world! Much general blessing uh, would flow from the nation of Israel becoming once again a light to the Gentiles. We might think about protracted problems like peace in the Middle East. Would it ever be possible that I believe a converted Israel would bring about great, great possibilities there? Finally, I'd say this as we draw to a conclusion uh, this evening. Life from the dead. Many commentators believe, and I, I think there's certainly much in this, This great conversion of Israel back to Christ would be perhaps the final sign before the return of Jesus Christ to this world. And at that point, it truly will be the final, the most amazing declaration and manifestation of life from the dead. Because as Christ returns and this great return of the Jews will be the last sign before Christ does return, well, that truly would mean the ultimate life from the dead. And I believe this is referred to at the end of uh, the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 12. Let me read a few verses from the, Daniel chapter 12, starting at verse 1. At that time. Now, what is that time? We're going to see it is the end of the world. At that time shall arise Michael the great prince who is in charge of your people this morning we thought about lucifer uh, he's one of uh, he was one of the archangels uh, lucifer michael and gabriel lucifer falls he becomes uh, satan the accuser he becomes the devil uh, the the one who opposes uh, the people of god and god himself but there's michael now who is michael he's an archangel he particular has oversight of the people of God and the children of Israel in particular. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge over your people, Daniel. This is the nation uh, of the Jews. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Something's going to happen at that time to the nation of Israel. The people will be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to everlasting shame and contempt. And those who are wise but that time shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Might seem confusing. Some commentators say this, and I'd have to agree, certainty at this point is certainly not certain. There's a great uncertainty about what's going to happen at the end. In the Old Testament, It seems to us now, with hindsight, the prophecies about the first coming of Jesus Christ were plain and obvious, but not the saints in the Old Testament. They searched the scriptures diligently, wondering and pondering and searching and seeking to know what was going to happen at the first coming of Christ. It's the same with you and I with the return of Christ. There's no certainty and we're allowed to have different points of view. There are those who are, if you want to spend time looking at it, um, pre-millennialists. There are those who are post-millennialists. There are those like myself, I count myself as an A-millennialist. Certainty about it, though, uh, is most uncertain. Uh, We can have our point of view, but we cannot impose it on others. Verse 4 of Daniel chapter 12 with that in view, that there's no certainty about these things. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. When these events happen, then we'll be able to say, ah, that's what Paul was speaking about in Romans chapter 11. Ah, that's what Daniel was inspired to write In Daniel chapter 12. When it happens, then we will know. In the meantime, let's rest in what we do know. Let's rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. I now have revealed something of my view on Romans chapter 11. You may take a different view, and with that, I will be content. But here's my conviction now there will be, towards the end, a total conversion of the Jews. Those in that nation, Israel, will flock to the Lord Jesus Christ in a mighty revival. What the implications that will be, I cannot tell, but it will certainly be a great blessing to that nation. Be that as it may, let me finish with some applications for us here and now. Here's the point I want to bring out. If the conversion of the Jews is going to mean life from the dead, may we be a shadow and a picture and a foretaste of that right here and now. May we, as Christian people in our day and generation, show and exhibit this life from the dead. We need to live for Christ. We need to be what we are. We need to be light to show we have life and to show that love of God to those around and about us. We need to be people who focus on eternal issues. Focus on that day that is rapidly approaching. As this Lord's Day finishes on the 14th of March, 2021. We are closer to the end now than we were when we woke up this morning. The great future event we have no doubt about is that Christ will return to judge the living and the dead. Heaven and hell, those final states, will be set up for the whole of eternity. Let us live in the light of that. I said this morning that um, I was going to reveal to you the, um, the fourth most influential, important thing that was ever said to me in my Christian life that's gone on now for 45 years almost. Remember the first thing of importance that I I learned on the day of my conversion, I was told every day, read your Bible and say your prayers. Uh, The second thing that's influenced me most of all is that statement by Ignatius, let none but Christ dazzle you. And I said this morning, the third most important thing I, I heard and been impressed on me was at the age of 23. Every day, put on the whole armor of God. And now here's the fourth, fourth most important thing that's influenced my life and that uh, I heard of uh, many years ago. It was a saying of uh, John Wesley. It said of John Wesley, every day he kept heaven and hell before his eyes. Every day. I keep heaven and hell before my eyes. Keeping an eternal perspective. There's the fourth most important thing I've ever learned. Number one, read your Bible, say your prayers every day. Number two, let none but Christ dazzle you. Have no heroes but Jesus. Number three, put on every day, first thing in the morning, the whole armor of God. And then throughout the day, every day, keep heaven and hell very much in view. Focus on that day. And thus, in that manner, making others envious of what we have, exhibiting and showing Christ being a blessing to those around and about us. Now, I want to finish with this thought. What is evangelism again? It's being what we are, and it's saying what we can being what we are. You know, we can be a blessing to those around and about us by simply being what we are. We can shed light and make other people's lives better, even if they never come to faith in Christ. The world is a better place for you being where you are. As you go to work tomorrow or college or school, as you live in your street, as you're a member of your family, Your family can be blessed, even if they never come to faith, by you being what you are. Just think of an example now. Um, And Jill was chatting about this with me the other week. In recent weeks, Jill has uh, made friends as she walks around the lake with a blind man who who walks around the lake with his dog. Uh, He has uh, somebody with him each day, uh, a lady. And almost every day now, the the buzzer goes at the gate and uh, it's uh, this gentleman and his his guide and and the dog as well bouncing around. And they sit on the bench outside the house and Jill takes them out a cup of tea and uh, a few biscuits. And um, yeah, and they spend some time together there. Has Jill shared the gospel with them. I don't know. I don't think so yet. Maybe the opportunity will come. But I'll tell you this, she's added some light into the life of the blind man and his guide. They look forward to spending some time with Jill and chatting with her on the bench. There can be that temporal blessing. But we're praying for opportunities to share the gospel. And as we share the gospel, then the eyes of the blind can be opened The spiritually blind eyes can suddenly see their need and that need wonderfully met in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that can mean life from the dead and an eternal blessing. Oh, may God use us. What's going to happen to Israel in the future? I've revealed my point of view. You might disagree with me. We might disagree. We're at liberty to disagree on that. I'll not impose it on you. But I'm the preacher today, so I've given my point of view on the matter, and there's no comeback from uh, Zoom to me. We might have some discussion on it later on. Maybe not. Maybe there are better things to talk about, quite frankly. But whatever the case is going to happen to Israel in the future, you and I are in the here and now, in our neighbourhoods. May we shine like stars in a dark world. And may we be a blessing to those around and about us, whether or not they come to faith. May we just be what we are and give them the opportunity. May we share the gospel of our glorious God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for an all too brief time in your word. The things we're thinking about are are difficult. They are mysterious. There's some of the meatier parts of your word. It's not the, the simple milk by, whereby we grow, but these are difficult things, and yet they are in your word. And whatever transpires to be the case, we're going to say uh, with the Apostle Paul, all oh, the depths of the glory and the wonder of the ways of God, they're beyond telling, beyond finding out. We'll praise you for the whole of eternity. Meanwhile, help us to shine for you. To God be the glory. Amen.